Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm and the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the conversation. Today I have with me Kristen Bell. Kristen is passionate about advising high net worth clients in all aspects of their financial lives. She has worked in financial services for 25 years. She's a CFA as well as certified financial planner. And her firm, Simon Quick Advisors, is a registered investment advisory firm with $5 billion in assets under management based in Morristown, New Jersey. Kristen lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where she was born and raised, serving her clients across the Southeast. And Kristen, some similarities, you know, my folks are from Northern Jersey, grew up in New York and now live in Nashville, which I know is not Chattanooga, but, you know, these are through lines that we have in common. And thank you for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. Thanks. Thanks for that kind intro and thanks for having me today. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about some of the mistakes we we see people make maybe when their portfolio reaches a certain level it doesn't have to be in a number of 5 million but that's just sort of the the number that i picked out of a hat as as their portfolios and they grow in size and they mature through life these are just some of the common kind of things that we see come our way so the first one i'll start with is you know We'll see someone come in and they have a hundred percent public equity strategy. And that strategy was probably advisable in their twenties and thirties and maybe even their forties when, when they were accumulating assets and, you know, just working really hard to, to just accumulate assets. So, um, they're saving and they're investing in usually public equities. And so, 
A, they had really nothing to lose at that point in their lives and they had time on their side. So, you know, it makes sense in that scenario to be exposed to public equities because you have time to you know, get through a correction if there is one and recover, et cetera. So, and that's assuming that, you, you know, that you're able to continue to compound that interest and in return, right? I, I think for a, a lot of folks that are, and I think that the, the demarcation is important, right? I think the million dollar mark, the $5 million mark, the 10, the decamillionaire up asset allocation and risk profile does make a big difference, right? And, and, and investment horizons do make a big difference and it should once you hit some of those certain milestones. So when it comes to like building this portfolio up over time, that assumes that they've been letting this compound, they haven't been using it as a savings account, which I know is some an issue that some folks run into, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah, my assumption is that, you know, we, we usually advise folks to have their um, sort of cash, their cash, you know, pay bank of savings at like three to six months of their expenses. And so they can dip into that if needed, but then really letting their savings grow and not having to disrupt that with withdrawals over time. And this is, I'm not sure when this is going to air live, but we're in, you know, Q2 2022, a lot of market volatility has been some drawdowns after kind of a, a steady two years of, of really dramatic uh, returns in the public markets, at least. And so this is a timely conversation because I'm sure there are a lot of folks who thought that the ride would just keep on going. Mm-hmm. And it seems like we're in store for much more volatility and a bit more of a rocky return profile here. And if you are in your 50s or or a stage of life where maybe you want to take some risk off, you know, how do you, how do you advise them? Uh, just more emotionally, I guess, than it would be actually culling down the portfolio, how do you kind of educate them that, you know, you still need to have some exposure to the public markets, but it might be time to to take some of that risk off. So we're in an interesting sort of period of time right now where the bond market is down, you know, eight and a half percent. S&P is down 12. NASDAQ, which are, you know, the, the tech stock down 20%. A lot of tech stocks are down way more than that, but that's just the, the average. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, folks, folks may have overexposed themselves to, to those growth stocks because they have certainly been the right play. And really over time, you know, that's, that's still going to be the case. I mean, we, we do feel like the fundamentals of those growth oriented companies are, are strong longer term. And, and if you look back, you know, decades, growth has over has outperformed value. But we were getting a little bit outside of what you're talking about. So, you know, as far as how to dial back risk at this point in time, it's tough. I mean, you know, hopefully the bond market has overshot kind of where we're, you know, the inter- the threat of inflation and, and the Fed raising rates aggressively. And I mean, of course we've got war too, which is inflationary in itself in our response to it causing more spending and and so you know we've got some ton of, some things going on you know is the fed going to be able to contain interest rates you know are we headed toward us a, a lower growth kind of high inflationary environment which we 
we think of or is described as stagflation. And where do you want to, where does your portfolio need to be if that's the case? You know, I think we, we like maybe not as much duration in our fixed income. We want to have, we feel like the credit environment balance sheets, corporate balance sheets and, and consumer balance sheets even are pretty strong. And that if we do have sort of a dip in the economy, it should be shallow, but hopefully shallow. You know, in the fundamentals, there are, there are some positive fundamentals that, that are, you know, support that. But, you know, less duration in your fixed income, maybe it's a good, maybe it's not. I was kind of toying with the idea that maybe it's not a bad time to add some, some longer duration now because we have had such a, a drawdown in terms of the bond market. However, I mean, it's like a, for, for anybody who statistically likes statistics, it's like a two standard deviation move in the bond market, which is, you know, very unusual, but there could be further pain and, and like timing the bottom of any market is just so fraught with, you know, difficulty. You don't ever want to invest that way looking for the bottom. So you want to do the smart thing. Yeah, I liked your comment in the blog that we're using as a little bit of a framework here that, you know, continue with this 100% public equity strategy that got people to this 5 million number, you know, doesn't make sense necessarily. And, and the, the part I like is time goes on, we're working, saving and accumulating over the course of several decades. And suddenly we wake up in our 50s and realize that we do have a lot to lose and less time to recoup losses, which is really helpful because I think oftentimes I suffer from this. We conflate volatility with risk, but the right way to define risk, in my opinion, is, is permanent loss of capital. So if you have that portfolio and you just start drawing down on it to pay for cost of living or expenses, you're exiting those positions at a lower level, lower valuation. You're, you're locking in those losses, whereas if you have more time and you can ride it out, volatility isn't really an issue for you if you're going to be in it. Yeah, for the long yeah. term, right? right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And and even in your 50s, you still have time, you know, before you're, you know, you, we consider a 10-year plus a pretty long time horizon, you know, to to not have to draw down on that that pot of money that you've got saved. But, you know, other asset classes to consider are, you know, not just bonds, but which are a natural fit and usually kind of offset risk in your portfolio, just not during this current time period that we're in. But others, others like private equity, venture capital, real estate, which I know is is near and dear to your heart, Ryan, and hedge funds. So, you know, these are things that diversify your your risk and aren't as correlated to sort of the the ups and downs of the equity market. And the next point you make is a really good one improper avoidance of capital gain tax. I know we suffered from this as a family. We recently moved to a multifamily office platform. We had a uh, legacy position of Berkshire Hathaway that it performed really well. So we never wanted to exit it, but it just became like massively outsized risk and concentration relative to the rest of the portfolio. And so one of the first things that our managers talked about when we kind of migrated over was we've got to start reducing the exposure here, but in a thoughtful, tax-efficient manner. I'm sure you've seen, you know, you mentioned some of the talk tech stocks that we've seen run. You know, people probably don't realize it, but after time, 
you're way over allocated to that concentration risk. So how, what do you typically see in that fact pattern? And how do you manage it? Yeah. Yeah. So in this scenario, which happens pretty frequently, we might have a client come to us or a prospect come to us and say, you know, show us your kind of best investment ideas. And, you know, I'll ask to see a, a copy of their current brokerage accounts. And, and what, what I see there are like an assortment of concentrated positions and maybe a handful of municipal or corporate bonds, but not like a diversified portfolio there either. And the portfolio contains stocks that, that may have been popular and maybe it's tech stocks today, but maybe it's stocks that were popular 20 to 30 years ago. And, and they didn't, the, whoever was managing the money didn't do anything but let the winners run and like wait for the losers to recover. Um, and so that results is like the, the result of that portfolio is that you have concentrated positions and a higher risk portfolio that that isn't really positioned to um, benefit today's market um, with what the next the winners the next winners are and so the client has you know high exposure to a small number of positions and concentrations and it's a riskier portfolio than it should be and the reason this happens is when there's no rebalancing along the way people you know I get it I know nobody likes to take take capital gains and pay the tax on those and see a big tax bill. Um, we're all guilty of that. But rebalancing has a really important um, role along the way. It's a necessary evil to, to be able to reallocate to future winners and, and use those losses to offset, use them as a tax asset to offset your capital gains. So, but, but a lot of brokers won't generate those capital gains and risk their clients blaming them for a high tax bill. And the rebalancing side, is that monthly, quarterly, semi-annually? You know, it can, it's, it's more art than science. It's not usually month. I mean, I went monthly, probably not quarterly, maybe a couple of times a year is enough. It, and it's market dependent, you know, one thing to do when, a mar- when the market's down, like it is now, and we do this frequently for, you know, we do this with, with all of our clients is that we look to take a loss and then go back into the market. Say, say you're taking a loss on a, 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 a passive ETF, like Vanguard Gross, and then you can turn around and buy a similar, maybe an active managed fund um, that we like. And that's also going to have a similar strategy. So you're not really staying out of the market, trying to, to time that because you have to have the 30 day in between taking the loss to buy the same asset again. And so, but you have that now as a tax asset, but you haven't given up the exposure. So that's a, that's a, a good way to, to do that. Yeah. And I would, I would interject here and say that Part of the reason I like firms like yours is because you take a holistic view of from a from a wealth planning standpoint, right? You're not just taking positions in single stock picking. And for clients who I think are in that five to ten million dollar range, you all uh, and, and firms like yours are fiduciaries, right? So mm-hmm. you're okay understanding the estate and the tax planning side of it and being a financial planning firm as opposed to just being a stock picker, which I think many of us have suffered from an advisor that puts us in a few names and they do well and they get compensated 
And their success is correlated to those few names as opposed to taking a holistic view on a household level of, well, what's the right thing to do here for the next 10, 20 plus years? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of clients come to us and they they don't think they need help with financial planning. They they think they only need help with their portfolio. Brian, it's just very, very common. And it and it takes some time for us to kind of show them how we are different from their broker who who did just sort of buy some stocks for them and focus just on their portfolio. They or maybe maybe they were told that they would that they would provide financial planning and all they did was kind of run a projection based on their current savings and retirement assets initially and then they never heard anything more about it. So naturally a lot of folks are skeptical that this time it's different. But I mean we really we do take that holistic view and so we'll start out, you know, at a relationship. We want to understand everything, like all your assets, everything you own, other investments, real estate, boats, planes, et cetera. Because, well, for one reason, it's helpful for someone else to know about all these pieces. A lot of, a lot of times, you know, no one else really knows the full picture. And then something happens to that breadwinner, or the, the, the financial sort of head of the household. And it's really the the family is really left to pick up the pieces and they don't there's a lot of moving parts and it's it's a long time before it all gets pieced back together. So we can really help in that role too. But it's also just integral to helping us understand the risk that that the client has already and understanding not just their assets, but their liabilities. Um, you know, do they have debt? If so, why and what? When's the last time they refinanced their mortgage? What other debt is out there that they have? And we can help kind of facilitate a refinancing or help them evaluate their options. Um, so that's that's another area. So assets, liabilities, want to understand their their savings, how much they're saving annually. Are you taking full advantage of your retirement account options? Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Get started by joining the Capital Club, where you'll get exclusive access to alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, and an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals. You can sign up by going to our website at www.excelsiorgp.com. What are the most common mistakes that you see new clients have made in terms of when you're going through a holistic 360 you know, financial planning consult with them if they weren't with a group like yours previously? Oh, just, I mean, viewing everything in terms of investments, but not really seeing, not, they're not used to seeing performance with time-weighted returns. They're not usually focused, a lot of folks, details like estate planning falls between the the cracks or, you know, we, we walk through every step of, you know, the estate planning process with our clients just to it's really helpful for us to be in on those meetings we can help answer questions related to to their assets and their net worth and also help them understand kind of on a non-hourly paid basis since we can kind of be the interpreter between the estate attorney estate attorney um and the client so it's really helpful but i've seen a lot of estate plans that haven't been implemented so uh, they haven't, re, you know, you've got this great plan, but then the assets haven't been retitled to be in accordance with that plan. So then it's just a, a mess when something happens. 
So I would yeah, we, uh, <laughs> I, I would agree that we've personally gone through this ourselves, you know, the rule of thumb of, you know, every time there's a major life event or every five years and you revisit your estate documents to have a firm like yours, that's able to give you, they can't give legal advice, right. But they can give you a consult, they can get everything organized and they can make it much more efficient when you actually go to the estate attorney and execute on that. And so I highly completely agree with you. And so the other question I like to ask folks like yours, and this leads into the fourth point of our discussion, like who do you think needs to be around the kitchen table when you're making these big life decisions or talking about, you know, the overall estate plan, your financial wellness? Yeah, good question. I mean, are you business owners as an example? I mean, we work with all kinds of clients, but we do work with a lot of business owners. And if you're a business owner, there's a lot of things to consider. And so like you need to, like we can address your retirement plan. We will talk through whether you have a buy-sell agreement or need one. And so an insurance, um, somebody that, you know, we don't sell insurance, right? And so we're not, you know, we're not, we don't take, we don't benefit from any referral to an insurance provider or we certainly don't get a commission when we sell or when, you know, we don't sell, but when we, when a client buys policy, but, you know, to have a buy-sell agreement in place is an important factor for business owners. So somebody from the insurance side is good to have at the table. Also, of course, the estate planning attorney and, you know, and, and with, the, with businesses, there's often an opportunity to do planning that will significantly reduce, um, the, the tax burden on on the heirs after the client dies. And so, you know, there's, it's, it's great to have the estate planning attorney in the room. Also, the CPA is, is incredibly important. We do a lot of tax planning for clients. And so we really need to be tied into the CPA and that ongoing dialogue that, you know, also uh, someone might want to have a business advisor who can help them prepare for prepare their business for a sale and and folks don't like to pay for those. And, you know, it's, it's almost one of these things like, you know, if you, if you don't, if you don't pay for it up front, you're going to pay for it on the back end. If you don't use one because they will help you get the best value and have the business positioned in such a way that, you know, that it, you maximize your value. So um, I would suggest that, you know, a, a business consultant would be important as well. There's a, a, a school of thought. Uh, I know my father-in-law for a long time operated under this rubric of multiple managers giving you best ideas, right? And, and spreading it around for whatever kind of risk you want to associate with that. I think that school of thought is changing, but I'm sure you still have some clients that operate under that. How do you, what, what are your thoughts there? And how do you respond to that type of pushback that I don't want all my money in one, in one place necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that is a very, a very common thing. And I do see it in my older clients in particular, it seems to be sort of that, I don't know, that, that sort of generation used brokers more than wealth management wasn't as much a thing. And so, you know, we're an independent firm, as you've kind of alluded to, and a fiduciary. And so, we have to put our client's interest ahead of our own, which is a really important distinction between brokers and, and someone at a registered investment advisory firm like ours. Um, it's 
like a legal, we are held to a different standard by law. And it's a really important distinction because we're not paid by any of the the managers or that I'm using that may be a term, term, not just managers, but any of the investments that we use for our clients. Whether we use one fund or another fund, we're not paid by either one. And so we're not conflicted. And so, you know, we, we get, we're not just generating, we, we, we pull in man, other, other managers of assets. So we get the best, you know, small cap managers and the international and, and mid cap and, and large cap and all along the spectrum, private equity hedge funds. And so, we're pulling in from a diversity of opinions in outside firms. And because we're not doing everything in-house like the brokerage firms do, we are already sort of gleaning from sort of multiple perspectives. And so I, you know, I would argue that you don't need to kind of have, you know, Morgan Stanley and UBS and, you know, you know, you don't need these firms that do it all in-house and have like multiple perspectives because we already have multiple perspectives and we're a fiduciary where they are not and we're going to view things holistically, which that, you know, if you have a couple of different brokers that you're using and nothing's being viewed holistically, then, you know, you could be setting yourself up for a situation where the right hand doesn't know where the left is doing you may have duplication, you may have more risk than you really want because they're all they're trying to outdo each other and get more assets from you or something like that. So, you know, those are kind of some of the pitfalls of of having the the kind of the two against each other. And I think, you know, we're also we're gonna serve you better if we know your full picture. And and how hard is it to really invest as a client uh, your whole you know, everything that's happening and changing with you all the time into multiple firms. I mean, I think keeping it simple, as long as you're not losing anything, because in value there, I mean, if you trust the people that you're working with and that level of trust is there, then you really should only need to use one. Just, just, a, I mean, people see it differently, but that's, that's my view. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think that school of thought is changing. And with technology and communication and just the lower friction costs, firms like yours, boutiques have access to best in class managers um, and ideas, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think it, it does make a lot of sense. Um, so great four points. Uh, I'm curious, you're interacting with, with clients on a daily basis. And I don't want to be too specific to this time because I want this to be evergreen, but What's keeping your folks up at night right now? Well, you know, certainly the bond market and the stock market are down at the same time, which is disconcerting for many. And where we would normally have a buffer from one asset class or the other. Uh, and we've had really strong returns for the last 10 to 12, 15, almost years. Uh, not 15. We're not there yet. But 2008 was still quite a while ago. So, you know, I think that for folks on the sideline with cash, that's another thing that I think it's, um, we're seeing kind of deer in headlights. A lot of times, like there's so much volatility in the market. How can we really commit to putting cash to work right now? And 
And I guess what I would say to that is that you really have to think long-term with your, like timing the bottom is just really difficult. You're probably not going to do that. But if you're looking for returns from from stocks and to materialize in the next you know, few months or even by the end of the year, then then I would say, you know, you know, maybe hold cash or maybe, maybe we look at something else, a floating rate, you know, fixed income vehicle or something. But if you're looking, if, but we know that long term that we will be up in three to five years from now, you know, even, you know, two to two to five, I would say is, is even within the realm. So, you know, if you can keep a longer term perspective and know that time in the market's impossible uh, at the bottom, you know, unless you just get lucky. But we know that, you know, that we are going to be higher three to five years from now. So go ahead and put the money to work. But it's hard to get people to to see that and not be afraid of the volatility. And then same question, maybe put a different way. What are you seeing your savviest, most sophisticated clients? I mean, what are you witnessing, obviously you're giving them advice, et cetera, but ultimately they're making decisions. When it comes to maybe taking on debt, putting on HELOCs, refinancings, being aggressive in alternatives, or going back into the market, what's your, what's your gut observation there about what some of the, you know, your sharpest clients are doing? Yeah. I mean, I think that the good question, I'm trying to to separate it from, I mean, maybe what we recommend versus what they... I mean, all of your clients are sure ex- exceedingly smart, right? But people that have been through multiple cycles maybe or are really acting on your best advice. And even though it might be a little bit scary, they're moving forward with it. I'm always just curious. I mean, I'm seeing in my world, a lot of people, they've had a good two, three years. You know, they're using that those really strong tax returns, the really strong balance sheets to maybe put on credit facilities so they can take advantage of buying opportunities if there is a bit of a recession coming down the pike. So I'm curious if you're seeing that or feeling that on your end as well. I mean, we still like, you know, the real estate market, which can, you know, could we could have a pullback in that. I mean, there's there's no area that's not immune to potential pullback down the road. But I would say that continuing to invest strategically in alternative investments to the extent that they can bear the, the lack of liquidity there is, is a smart thing to do. And so, and, and, you know, in floating rate instruments, we are, we are still very positive on the credit environment. And so, you know, rather than taking taking um, interest rate risk and your fixed income, you take more credit risk and do something that's a little, you can earn, you can really earn mid to high single digits in something like that right now. But, you know, with all things, it's, it's diversification and, you know, stay not getting nervous about the areas that are, you know, will, will tech ever recover? Yes, tech will recover. It is certainly being repriced right now based on inflation and and those you know those forward cash flows of those companies that are so important getting repriced but but I, you know staying the course where it where it makes sense and looking to continue to round out their alternatives portfolio i would say well kristen curassa doing your first podcast <laughs> 
Yeah, thanks, Ryan. He's um, glad that uh, you were my first, and um, this has been fun and and a good dialogue. I hope for others to hear. So, absolutely. And and Kristen puts out some really good content uh, via newsletter. The website, the firm does a great job with their market commentary as well as access to pretty compelling alternatives. So, you know, with that, if people are interested in learning more about the work you do or the firm, we'll include some links in the show notes, but what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, probably email or, you know, which if you forget my, if you don't, can't write it down, it's available on my site, my firm website at simonquickadvisors.com. You can contact me via the website or you can, my email is kbell at simonquickadvisors.com. And LinkedIn is also something I pay close attention to. So you can always communicate with me on LinkedIn. Um, my maiden name is McCamish. So it's Kristen McCamish Bell. It you know, separates me from the actress. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't I mean being named Brian Adams. I don't comment on other people's names. <laughs> so it's it's just bad karma. But thank you for the time. I'm glad we could finally do this. And I look forward to maybe doing a part two uh, as the market develops. And I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.